0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to this hour because Dr. Glenn Pickering is in the studio. That always makes me happy. He's a regular guest. I try to get him as often as I can. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare in relationships. So you're going to want to uh, grab the notebook and the pen because there's probably going to be some wonderful things for you to write down. And learn. Uh, we're going to also be taking questions today. Uh, perhaps you feel there's there's some spiritual warfare in your relationship. I, I think the human relationships would course of course would be the greatest crucible for human growth, and it's uh, oftentimes difficult and challenging. But sometimes there's uh, warfare from the dark side that comes in that makes relationships destructive. So. That's all I'm going to say to get things set up. Then I'm going to take 60 seconds, and then I'm going to let Glenn do the explaining, uh, because he's sitting there looking at me going, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Okay, good. (laughs) And so we'll take 60 seconds. Be right back. I'm Neil Stavem, manager of Faith Radio. The month of September brought two new FM frequencies to the Faith Radio family, 89.1 in Mankato and 91.9 in Grand Marais. These are the first of several more FM stations soon to be bringing Faith Radio to additional communities in Minnesota and South Dakota. But we couldn't have moved through this open door without your support. So thank you for investing in the growing ministry of Faith Radio. You can make a gift today online at MyFaithRadio.com. Masks everywhere. Some are cute, some are creepy, and some are confusing. Was that Daddy or someone dressed up like Daddy? It's easy to not let anyone else see who you really are. You can even try that with God. But as you listen to Faith Radio, we hope you can remove the mask and come to Him just as you are. And the good news is, there's no trick involved. He loves you no matter what. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. all right welcome to hour 2 Off, glad to have dr glenn pickering in the studio and go to Glennpickering.com to learn more about glenn that's g-l-e-n-n-p-i-c-k-e-r-i-n-g.com and we're going to talk about spiritual relationships spiritual warfare inside relationships and i want to um First, Glenn, just welcome you to the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I love being here. This
0: is going to be a great hour. I'm looking at (laughs) some of the things we're going to chat about today, and this is going to be very, very interesting. Um, Let's start with Romans uh, chapter 7. You know, Paul says, uh, for I do not do the thing I want to, but I do the very thing I hate. Right.
1: Yep. And I think so often that's true for us, and we wonder what is going on, because there are times, if we're dead honest, where our behavior controls us instead of us controlling our behavior.
0: Mm, Say more um, about that.
1: Well, like, for example, um, well, let me start here. We need to recognize that at those times that we're being driven by our wrong beliefs, and all of us have some sort of wrong core beliefs that run through the back of our head all the time that are really, really unhelpful for us. And um, and sometimes we get caught up in that way of thinking, and it messes with our relationships, and we start behaving in ways that later on we'll, we'll feel bad about. Um, so, for example, let's say I have this belief in the back of my head: I can never do anything right. I'm just never going to be good enough. Okay. And my wife says to me, oh, Glenn, I thought you were going to pick up some milk at the store, but I see you forgot. Now, that's an innocent observation. Nobody's being mean to me. Nobody's being harsh. She's just stating a fact. I see you forgot to do that. But see, if I have that belief in the back of my head that I'm never going to be good enough, I respond by saying, yeah, see, I can never do anything right. All you ever do is criticize. Everything I do is wrong. I can never get it right. And she's going to look at me like, what just happened? Yeah. And we are now going to have a really crazy-making conversation because I got triggered on that core belief. You're
0: flooded at this point, aren't you? Yes, that I'm Mm -hmm. not good
1: enough. And she will be flooded by my response, which of course means it's likely to trigger some bad thing for her. Because all of us if we feel that harshly attacked have a tendency to fall into our own little defensive patterns yeah. and of course it's super not helpful. Wow. Let's close in so, prayer. Let's yeah. get this
0: hour over with. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's be done now. Yeah. No, seriously, what you um, just described is probably what goes on in, in homes every night. Right, exactly. Yep. And
1: it's all driven by those thoughts we have that are not even our own thoughts. Yep. So, so I want to talk a little bit more about that. But just gonna give a couple other examples of how our core beliefs can really, really get in the way of our relationships. I uh, I was talking to a client of mine just a little while ago who comes from another family that has this thought. It's just not worth trying. So it doesn't matter what the idea is or what the goal might be or what vision somebody might have. What they're going to hear from people is that's not even worth trying. That'll never work. You'll just get hurt. So they have this really, really core belief that nothing's ever going to work right. That it's literally not worth
0: trying. That's their default response, isn't yeah, Exactly.
1: It? Now, imagine I'm in a relationship with somebody like that, and I say, hey, maybe we can go on vacation this summer to Duluth. I really love going there. It'll probably just rain. It's never going to be good. We probably won't even have enough money. And instantly, this conversation goes negative. Mm-hmm. And I start thinking, again, same thing, what, what just happened? Mm-hmm. I thought we were having this fun conversation about something we could do together. And somehow we got i this tripped into this conversation about how we never have enough money. I, what, what, what just happened? Um, and or let's say I have this thought that I need to be busy. I, I see a lot of people have this crazy belief. I have to be busy. They have this achiever kind of mentality. And again, that so powerfully affects our relationships. Let's say I'm married to a gal who feels like I can never sit still. Well, when are we going to sit quietly and talk? When are we going to do prayer together? When are we going to be romantic? When are we just going to talk about our day? It's like it literally interferes with our ability to create any sort of an intimate connection. And I mean intimate on any level, like mm-hmm. conversational, prayerful, sexual, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And um, and the person who thinks that, I have to be busy, I can't sit still, is always going to be walking around feeling lonely and wondering why you know the people in their life don't feel connected to them. But the people in their life don't feel connected to them because all those other people keep giving the message, you're not as important to me as this task I'm working on right now, which makes them feel not wanted. And um, again, just wrecks our relationship. So, in all those situations, whether I'm thinking, see, that just shows I'm not good enough, or I just think, no, nah, nah, that's not even worth trying, or I'm real busy all the time. See, those are core beliefs that literally get a hold of us, and we behave in ways that are not consistent with what we actually want. That's what I mean about when our, instead of our behavior, we being in control of our behavior. Our behavior is actually controlling us.
0: Wow. So, Glenn, is self-preservation connected to a lot of these examples you just gave? You know, if I the, need to be busy um, and I can't be available, am I trying to do some self-preservation? Yes. Like if I did stop right. and quiet down and try to get intimate, you might realize that, that there's not a lot there. Or that you don't really like me. Or that yeah. you're mad at me about right, something. Right, right.
1: Or that I'm not the person you thought I was. Mm-hmm. Or maybe um, when I was a kid and I just sat still, maybe I was raised by an achiever who would then be all critical of me. What are you just sitting there? We need help. And I thought, I don't want to sit still because I think something bad's going to happen to me.
0: Yeah. yeah. And all these thoughts get stamped in your brain, don't they? Right.
1: Because mm-hmm. we grow up believing that thought and it becomes like a core belief for us. And it's like, so then that core belief in guides our decisions instead of us guiding our decisions. There's a real sense in that that I'm literally not in control of myself when I'm letting those thoughts run my life. Mm -hmm. Then those thoughts are in charge of me not me and so pretty soon I say like Paul that boy I don't do what I really want but I do the very thing I hate. I lash out at my wife when all she pointed out was that we don't have any milk. I crunch my friend's vision just because I don't believe that anything can really happen. Or I keep blowing off my friends because I have things I have to do. And I'm going to keep thinking to myself eventually, why do I keep doing that? What? Why do I keep doing that? I keep doing the very thing I hate.
0: Is that a lot of black and white thinking, Glenn? Oh, yes. Those thoughts that we
1: have mm-hmm. that that are so controlling our, our, our behavior are very either-or thoughts. Um, and there's a reason about that, which we can talk about more in just a minute. So, but first, I want to talk about two things. First, I want to talk about where do those thoughts come from. So, first, I want to talk about how we inherit some, and then I think we can come back in okay. a little bit to yep. come back to how we kind of create some of them too. I, uh, as you know, I'm fascinated by the field of epigenetics, and that is about this whole study fascinating about how our experiences actually change our DNA. They change our d- genetics. And as Tanya a while back about how. Oh, Twelve or thirteen years ago, when I first started getting interested in this, I read this article about how there's some geese from around here. They' fly south for the winter, they'd always go to the same place. One year they went to that same usual place and it was all dried up, so they went to a different place, came back here, had their babies you know here in the summer, and the babies in the fall on their own flew to the new place and It's like, what the heck and people have come to understand, so we have behave we have experiences they change our brain chemistry. And then when we have our offspring, they inherit our new brain chemistry. So those baby geese knew where to go because they inherited the brain Hmm. with that thought about where to go. Now, the tricky part of that is we inherit all kinds of things from our parents' brain. So let's say my parents, at the time I was conceived, they both really felt like I'm never good enough, I'll never do anything right, and they really, really have that belief in their brain, and their brain is wired to believe that thought. The one that conceive me, I literally inherit the brain that thinks that. Wow, I know it's that's spooky. crazy. It is crazy, scary, and when you're reading the Bible about you know generational sin, it's like, well, yeah, because mm. we you literally those dots? inherit the thoughts that lead to those behaviors. Wow. Now, I also luckily believe in generational goodness. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. All the right things and loving things and caring things that our parents believed and maintained and did, we will inherit that too. So it's not all bad.
0: But But there's some deep thoughts to get started, Glenn. Yeah, that's right. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Let me take a a little short break. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest in studio. You can go to glennpickering.com to learn more about Glenn and his great uh, books and writing and counseling services that are all available. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Dr. Glenn Pickering is in studio We're talking about spiritual warfare in relationships. And I'm learning a whole lot, Glenn. This is interesting. Well, we, cool. we inherit thoughts. Yes. So both good and bad. Right. Yep, exactly. And those in turn will create fables. Right. Ways of thinking. That we will live with. Right. Because
1: as you have heard me talk about many times, that everything goes, think, feel, do. How my thinking drives my feelings and my feelings drive my behavior. So if I inherit certain thoughts, well, then those thoughts drive certain feelings, which then drive certain behaviors. So when I do the behaviors that Paul talked about, where I don't do the thing I want, but I do the very thing I hate, right. Because we have some core beliefs that are messed up, which drive some feelings that are really not right, which leads to those behaviors that make us think later, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. And the fact is, I wasn't thinking, I was letting my inherited thoughts run my life.
0: That is a, that's a big one.
1: Right. Oftentimes clients come to me and say, Glenn, my problem is I've made some really bad decisions. I make a lot of bad decisions. And I want to listen carefully, make sure I understand, of course. But mostly what I'm going to find is this. It's not that they make bad decisions. It's that they don't make decisions. They go with their knee-jerk reaction, those inherited thoughts, which go through their head without any thinking, and they do that. Mm -hmm. And so then it consistently... And they
0: think they've made a decision, but but they they clearly haven't.
1: All they did was react... Mm -hmm. And I think they haven't made a decision any more than if you, you know, hit my kneecap with a little rubber hammer, my knee kicks out. Well, that's not a decision either. Mm -hmm. It's a reaction. It's a reflex. And we have those core beliefs that run through our mind like a reflex. And if I let that drive my feelings and my behavior, I will consistently behave just the way Paul talked about while I keep doing the thing I hate Mm -hmm. because I have that thought that says, you know, I can never do anything right, or nothing's ever going to work out, or I have to be really busy, like I said. And that inherited thought then drives my feelings and my behavior, and I keep doing the very things I most dislike.
0: Talk more about the inherited thought versus the uh, information you hear growing up, where a parent says, save your money, save your money, save your money, get a piggy bank, save your money. And you hear that, and all of a sudden you're a grown adult, and you've you've done a nice job of... Of saving money.
1: And have no idea how to have fun or care about anybody else.
0: I get that. Right. But uh, so, why did you make it personal? Oh. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> um. I di- sorry, I didn't want to go there. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> you're funny. No, but there's, you know, the, right. then right. was so, that inherited or was that, uh, you know, just learned think, over a lifetime?
1: Here's an interesting thing. So some of our core thoughts, like I said, are inherited. some of them we come up with ourselves. So I always think, um, this is why I call those thoughts fables. Because, you know, if you read little Aesop's fables... It's just a story. There's no moral to it. You read the story, and then you come up with your own moral or conclusion. That's the whole point of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, so Aesop tells this little fable, and then you're supposed to think, oh, so that means life is like this. And then you come up with your own conclusions. Well, it's important to understand little kids are doing that all the time. They look around. They see what's around them. And they think, okay. And they're great little observers, way uncomfortably good observers at times. <laughs> And then they draw conclusions about the world. Now, the problem is not that they're bad observers. So I'm going to go off on my little rant just for a minute, if that's okay with you. Oh, please. Okay, so I had a little four-year-old niece back in the day, and we're standing in the grocery line waiting for our turn. She's standing just behind me. And she looks up, and she says, Uncle Glenn? Yeah, honey? You have a really big butt. (laughs) That was nice. Uh Uh-huh. Now, (laughs) and I laughed and moved on. Now, let's see, she was just telling the truth from her perspective. Mm-hmm. She's at about that height.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> She's standing behind me. I <laughs> Probably did obscure most of her field of vision. <laughs> That's probably was just her truth. Uh-huh. Now, here's the weird thing. So then we tell kids, don't say that. Now Remember, kids are black and white. So what conclusion do they come to? Don't tell the truth. It's better not to say anything or to lie. Okay. That's what they get out of that if you say, don't say that. Yeah. So then later on, they're 11 or 12 or 13. They get themselves in a little bit of trouble, and then they lie about it. And the parents are mad, like, it's bad enough that you did that thing, but then you lied about it. That's terrible. And the kid looks at them really confused because he's thinking, so you're telling me it's bad to lie, but the person who told me to lie was you. <laughs> and when you see that uh, little deer-in-the-headlights look on their face, it's not because they're feeling guilty. or They're feeling confused, like, I don't get it. I thought mm-hmm. I was doing what you taught me to do, which is why when people say, if, you know, so if a three-year-old, four-year-old says, hey, Uncle Goon, you have a big butt, I just smile and move on. Right. Because I don't want to teach them as wrong as to just tell your truth, because that's all they're doing. hmm And I also don't want to te- teach them, oh, that hurts other people's feelings. They don't even get other people to have feelings. <laughs> so, because they're just black and white thinkers, all they're going to hear from that is, okay, don't tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> So, they're really black and white little thinkers, which means we have to be really careful what we say to them. Now, so, so they see things really clearly, as I said, but because they're such either-or thinkers, their way of interpreting everything is going to be really black and white. So, I had this clear picture of my daughter back when she was little, like maybe five or six. She had a little argument with a friend Elizabeth in the front yard. So, she comes storming into the house. Is this what she said? Well, Dad, Elizabeth is still a dear friend of mine, and I'm sure we'll play again later once I calm down. But right now I'm a little upset, so I'm going to take a minute and cool down so we can play together and be friends later. Did she say any of that to me?
0: I never want to see her again. No,
1: not Elizabeth, <laughs> not my friend. I hate Elizabeth. I'm oh. never going to play with her again. Right. right. Which is really just a way of saying I'm, I'm upset with Elizabeth. Yeah. But they're black and white thinkers, so that's how they think that, and that's how that comes out. So let's say I grow up um, and um, my dad is mostly nice, but sometimes he drinks a little too much and he gets really loud and kind of mean. No, I'm a black and white thinker. I don't see that and think, oh, you know, most of the guys are okay, and most of my dad's okay, but once in a while he drinks too much, and it's not safe to be around him. I think men are scary. And that's with my dad, because I'm a black and white thinker. I think mm-hmm. men are scary, and I'm going to grow up being afraid of men. I could be sitting in a church meeting somewhere, and somebody could say something funny, and somebody could laugh loud behind me, and I could get triggered. Thinking, oh, my gosh, now something bad's going to happen, because I've got that association, Because right. I believe men are scary. And now I'm waiting for something bad to happen, so they're black and white in their thinking. So they come to those black and white conclusions. And who does every kid think about all the time? Yeah, themselves. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Of yeah. course, that's the only. That person felt like a trick about. question. No, I. Um, so I had a mom a little while ago. I said, "How oh, my two year old knows how to push all my buttons?" And I said, "I just started laughing." And she said, "What are you laughing about? This is really painful." And I said, "Your kid doesn't even know you have buttons." <laughs> Your kid doesn't even know you're a separate person. (laughs) 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 They think everybody around the room and anywhere in the room next to me is here to take care of me. Because if I fall down, they pick me up. If I get hungry, somebody feeds me. If I start crying, everybody comes around me. If I enter the room, people say how cute I am. I I don't get you have a separate life. (laughs) The fact that I could do something that would hurt you because you're a separate person will never even occur to them. No, that's for sure. Now, so they're telling the truth might make you uncomfortable and it might push your buttons, but not because they're trying to, because they don't know you have them. (laughs) You have to remember, they're just doing what they do. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So they think everything's about them. So if I have that dad, I think two things. I think men are mean, because I'm black and white, to me, because I'm a very self-centered little thinker. Mm -hmm. So we then develop these fables, these ways of thinking about life that are really black and white and are always about us. So, for example, let's say I grew up, um, well, I'll tell you about how I did grow up. I grew up in a family with six kids. I was the third kid. My dad worked a couple different jobs, wasn't really educated, so he worked really hard to support the family. He was gone a lot. My mom had six kids to take care of, and she was autistic, so um, didn't know a lot about how to do that. And so mostly nobody paid attention to me. And um, I went to school and, you know, I was really shy, really quiet as a kid with a bent over back because I had a bad spine and Coke bottle glasses. I was too shy to talk. Well, <laughs> you know, the teachers didn't have to talk to me because I didn't make trouble and the kids didn't talk to me because I wasn't interesting. So, um, so, I came up with this fable that I was invisible, that it really didn't matter if I was there or not because mostly that was kind of true. Um, So even now, because I have that belief that I grew up thinking I'm invisible, I don't really matter, might as well not even be here. So anybody can do the simplest little thing to me where I feel left out, which will happen about 10 times a day, right, because stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can literally feel myself getting triggered, and I can hear all those old thoughts going on in the back of my head. I don't matter. I might as well not be here. I don't even count. Um, and. It can happen in the most ridiculous ways, which is, is and it's helpful to see how ridiculous it is. So, I'll be at a seminar, for example, teaching. Maybe there are 40 people there listening to me. They all paid money to, and spent time to come and hear me speak. And um, I can be walking out of that doorway with one other person, and somebody next to me can say, Hey, see you, a little, see you a little, and just a little bit, John, to the person next to me, and not talk to me. And I can literally feel myself get hurt. Like, I'm not here. Now, of course, they meant no harm by it, right. nothing. And if I didn't have that weird fable in the back of my head, I wouldn't have thought anything about it either. But, so I could get it. So, um, so yes, some of those crazy thoughts we have in the back of our head, we literally inherited. They were given to us. And some of those crazy thoughts we have in the back of our head, we came up with ourselves based on our own experiences. And then that black and white way and very self-centered way of thinking about those experiences. And those are the kind of thoughts that will make us do exactly what Paul talked about. For I do not think do the thing I want, but the very thing I hate.
0: Wow. All right, Dr. Glenn Pickering is in studio. Go to glennpickering.com and check out his website. He also offers a pretty nice uh, opportunity to get 20 minutes of phone conversation time with him. It's an offer about midway down the first page on his website at glennpickering.com, two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. We're going to continue our discussion on fables. He has compiled a list of 17 fables he's learned over... uh, 15 or 20 years that he's compiled. I think I can make them available to you if you want to see them. Email me bill at myfaithradio.com and put in your uh, in the subject line fables and I'll email them to you. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you might find yourself in one of them. We'll take a short break and be back with lots more in just a minute. In studio. It's been an interesting hour talking um, about fables, spiritual warfare and relationships. For I do not do the thing I want to, but I do the very thing I hate. So uh, Glenn, I appreciated your vulnerability kind of sharing your story and sure. what your fable yeah. was. And, it, I, you know, part of me wants to ask, well, how do you, how do you diminish that so it doesn't right. ha- it's, so it's not a barking dog as you're trying to leave the room. Right. So what about me? Right. right. You know, how does that still trigger you? Right. I mean, you're a PhD for crying out loud. blah blah blah. blah I know blah, blah, I'm really cool. <laughs> I'm
1: the coolest person you'll ever meet. Well, the still. coolest right.
0: person in this studio yeah. right now. Oh, poor which, Rebecca. I don't you, know about that. Uh, <laughs> you get I wasn't finished. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I was going to no. say after Rebecca. <laughs> oh, I, sorry, okay, good. I don't mind being <laughs> okay. number 2. Oh, thanks, forward guys. Forward guys. Forward yeah. Number 2. All yeah. right.
1: So, I want to get to that, but first I want to talk about the signs, okay? Okay. Because I think that's, because I have to know when it's happening to me, and then I, then I want to talk about what to do about it, because I'm hoping that will be helpful. Um, so, people say, well, Glenn, so I believe that that happens. How can I tell when that's happening to me? And I always think, okay, there are three things. Remember, everything goes thing, feel, do. So, if I'm caught up on my fable, I'm having a really intense thought, and notice, not a subtle thought, not a sophisticated thought, Not even my own thought. A very, very either or black and white thought. Like, I don't really matter. I might as well not be here. Nobody loves me. And it's helpful to just notice the childishness of that thought. Not childish like you're bad. Just like I can tell that that's a a fable because I came up with that thought when I was, guess what? A child. Mm-hmm. So the language that goes through my head is the language a child would use. Just like if my daughter comes in when she's five, so Elizabeth, not my friend. I hate her. She's never, I'm never going to play with her again. I mean, those are the ways a child thinks, which is okay. But if I hear myself saying those really black and white sentences to myself, I can be darn sure I'm re- this is just the voice in the back of my head repeating one of my fables because that can't possibly be true. So for example, My wife, who I adore, has ADHD. So she has a hard time sometimes getting herself places on time. Well, she has a hard time getting herself two places, but she also has a hard time getting there on time. So if she's supposed to pick me up at the store at 8 o'clock and I'm standing there in the corner waiting for her and it's 8.10, I can literally hear those thoughts running through the back of my head. I don't matter. You don't care. I might as well not even be here. I don't matter to you. You don't really love me. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is a woman who for 37 years has done nothing but take incredibly good care of me. (laughs) So that thought literally makes no sense.
0: Yeah, it doesn't.
1: It makes no sense. But I, I feel it with great intensity, right? And here's how it come: Why do my child have such big feelings? Remember, because everything goes think, feel, do. Well, if my thoughts are black and white, so I have real big thoughts, <laughs> not, oh gosh, this is inconvenient, but big thoughts, like you don't even love me. Well, that's going to trigger a really big feeling, which is going to lead me to act in ways that are way out of proportion to anything that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. That's why I do the very thing I hate. I look back and I think, look at my behavior back when I'm saying again, and I think, what was I thinking? How could I have done that? How could I have been so rude or so harsh or so mean or so combative or so whatever it is that gets triggered in me? You know, for all of us, we have our own fables. And it's important to understand, right, when I hear that black and white thought going through my head, that extreme either-or thought, which triggers that real big emotion, I need to do nothing. So here's why that's important. So, you know me, I've always grew up in this shy, quiet family, so mostly I wouldn't talk up at events or with groups of people unless I felt really strongly about something. They think, okay, I have to speak up about this. I feel so strongly about it. Here's what I've understood. That's the only time I should sit down and shut up. <laughs> I should have been talking all the other times. Right. all the other times I actually had logical, helpful, true things to say. Mm-hmm. When I'm that agitated and that worked up, like I just have to say something, you can be guaranteed. I have one of those black and white thoughts running through my head, which yeah. is generating that real big emotion, which makes me feel like, I have to say something about this, which leads to that kind of impulsive, of behavior, yeah. right? All because literally it's now me instead of choosing my behavior, my behavior's just taking me over. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer actually choosing. It's all my old core beliefs in the back of my head that are doing the choosing, not me. So I need to understand. So when people say, well, well how can I tell if that's happening to me? I think you can hear those really black and white thoughts going through your head, literally, like literally as a child would think. You can feel how intensely you feel about that. And it can also notice how intensely you want to act in a certain way. And you're even kind of telling yourself self-righteously that that would be the right thing to do. Even though later on you're going to look back and think, oh, crud, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. Now, so I, just, so I just want to say to people, whenever, any, whenever you can feel any of those things happen, those big thoughts trigger those real intense emotions, which triggers that sense, I have to do something. This is when that fable has totally got a hold of you. You are now about to do exactly what Paul says, when you're not going to do what you want. You're going to do the very thing you hate. This is why that's the only time you should not talk.
0: <laughs> so down. I'm going to open Go up my amateur yeah. counseling practice. I love you're, it. You're my only, it. You're my only client. I like it. Um, this is good. I'm going to close down after you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I'm observing this and I know that you are, uh, have a fable about being forgotten or overlooked. Right. Yep. So I would say to your wife, uh, if you know you're going to be 10 minutes late, everybody's got cell phones, I think. Pick up the phone and say, hey, dear, I'm going to be 10 minutes late.
1: Right. And if she wasn't driving, lost in traffic, scared that she didn't know how to get there, <laughs> losing her mind, yeah. and trying not to get killed by the car next to right. her, she might do that. Okay.
0: This is why I'm an amateur. When I'm just retired.
1: Guys, <laughs> remember she has a hard time getting herself there and on time because she's also dyslexic. So okay.
0: So I'm looking at the the uh, the common fables that you have right. You have put together over a couple decades of counseling. Right. Yep. And I do want to make this list available. There's 17 on there. Yep. If you want to email me, Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Just put fables in the uh, subject line. I'll send it to you. Um, here's uh, one. Number two, I'm a bad kid. There's something wrong with me, and now I'll prove it. I'm the troublemaker. Right.
1: So if I grew up believing the rules are important, and I inherit that from my folks, and, um, and I also inherit that belief, which is also on the list. I, can, I can't do anything right. Well, see then I grow up right from the beginning thinking the rules are really important I have to do them and I can't because I'm not good enough. Well that creates a lot of frustration in a person's mind and eventually they start acting out because they think well if I'm not good enough they start acting like they're not good enough and then the whole thing becomes this weird self-fulfilling prophecy they believed the rules are important but they're not good enough they'll never be able to do it so they act out and Ways that they feel bad about, which just makes them think, oh my gosh, see, I really am a bad kid. And that's kind of the feedback they get from everybody around them. Mm-hmm. Why are you such a bad kid? Why don't you like your brother? He obeys all the rules. Right.
0: So could this list also be the list of the self-fulfilling prophecies?
1: Yes. Here's the interesting thing. And people, I don't know if they really get how true this is. Every thought we have is a self-fulfilling prophecy. There say are more. No exceptions. Say more. Um, let's say, um, hmm. Let's say I believe the truth about Rebecca and that she's amazing and smart and super helpful.
0: I like this already.
1: See, this is going well. So I like to win points when I'm in the studio. (laughs) So, and I really believe that about her. I treat her lovingly. I treat her respectfully. She feels safe when she's around me. So her brain works as well as it's supposed to work. And she's totally plugged in and feeling cared about. And she will literally become that person. Mm. She'll be way smarter. She'll be kinder. She'll be sweeter to me. And everything will go well because I believe that. Perfect. Or I could look at somebody and think, you're a jerk. You're just competing with me. i got to cut you off before you cut me out right now. <laughs> so I cut you off before you can do that to me, and you get mad, and you start competing. I thought, see, I knew it. I mean, like literally what I believe will actually start happening right in front of me. Wow. I know. That's part of why when, Matthew, when Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask, for, and it should be given to you, he's trying to say, be really clear what you actually want, because what you think about will show up in your life. So... Be mindful of what you think about. Ask for what you actually want. Um, Because, yeah, because that will show up in your life. So, and I really hope everybody who's listening does um, email Bill and ask for that list of fables, because I'm thinking you'll find them super helpful. And... Because knowing what my fable is, is super helpful for me. It helps me kind of watch for it so I know, oh, uh uh-huh. As soon as I start saying sentences in the back of my head that sound like that, I will know I'm in my fable mm-hmm. and that I'm acting from that place and I'm not actually choosing. Now this is why I talk to people, all of my clients about being, becoming what I call a second responder. If I go with my first response, I'm just always going to go with that knee-jerk thought that runs through my head. And anytime I have any of those knee-jerk thoughts, I want to slow it down long long enough to make sure that I'm saying what I actually mean to say. And oftentimes, when we feel something intensely, so we're getting kind of triggered. So if we go with that first thought, you're just going with that fable, and that will be destructive to our relationships every single time because those fables are so harsh. You know, I mean, because they're so black and white. I don't believe, oh, my wife is kind of inconsiderate and didn't come to get me on time. I think, you don't love me, you don't even care. Well, that's a really destructive thought. And I, I had that feeling and she comes in the car and uh, does come to get me and says, Glenn, are you okay? And I say, you don't even care about me. Well, we're not just going to have a bad moment. We're going to have a bad day. We might have a bad week. Because I didn't recognize that thought as being a lie. I didn't believe I that it was actually true. And in that intensity, that's what I'm saying. If we have that intensity, we just need to understand. That's when we need to slow down long to make sure that I don't speak until I'm back in charge of myself, because otherwise I will not do the thing I want. I will do literally the very thing I hate, the thing I've done so often and destroyed all my relationships so far. I'll do it again right now.
0: Mm. Let me reach into the fishbowl here into yeah. this list of common fables that you have compiled over the mm-hmm. years. And again, I'll make this available. If you would like it, Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Just put in fables. Here's one, Glenn. I find this one is going to get a lot of people's attention. Okay. I need to tell other people what to do. Otherwise, they'll make a mistake. Right. I'm the fixer.
1: Right. Yes, all of us who grew up as codependent as I did you can tell how codependent I and my family are because you can look codependent up on Wikipedia and there's a family photo there.
0: That's nice. <laughs> yeah, Makes it's, it easy. It's very, very attractive, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the pickerings.
1: Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so it's just important to understand that um, part of being codependent, that belief that I need to fix everything, I need to take care of everything, I need to make sure things go just the way they're supposed to go, is a really destructive belief. And will wreck all my relationships because I send very undermining messages to other people. I uh, was doing counseling with this couple one time, and she was really mad that he never helped. And he said, okay, tell you what, I'll I'll be glad to help in any way I can. And she said, okay, well, and he said, you just tell me what you'd like help with, and I'll, I'll do that. She said, okay, I hate having to load and unload the dishwasher by myself. I hate that. I want you to do that. He said, great, I'll do that. I see them again a week later, so I say to him, hey, how did it go unloading the dishwasher, or loading and unloading the dishwasher? And he said, I only did it once. And, but not like he was being a jerk, with sort of a sad look on his face, and I said, well, what happened? And he said, I got in the middle of it, and she pushed me aside, told me I was doing it wrong, and took over and did it herself. And I think, right, because she really, really believes nobody else will do it right. And so... You can see then how that will undermine everybody else's confidence around you because they walk around thinking they can't do it right, and pretty soon i got a whole group of people around me who believe that second fable, I can never do anything right. Mm-hmm. And here's the sad thing. Those two people tend to find each other. In a marriage, I'm very if I find somebody who thinks I can never do anything right, I'm going to find that they're almost always married to a fixer who sends people the message, you can never do it right. That's why I have
0: to do it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, you know painful sort of way yeah all right glenn uh let me take a break i think it's a yep. good time yep um again if you'd like a copy of glenn's fables that he's compiled over the years of counseling you can email me bill at myfaithradio.com be happy to send it to you it's just uh, one page i can email it to you and then when we come back i've got a couple of uh listeners that have chimed in with questions so i think i might take one more fable and then hit you with some questions Does Great, that love work for it. you yep We've got time for a question or two. You can call and be on the program or you can text 877-933-2484. Be back in a minute. dr glenn pickering is in studio glenn com is his website two n's g l e n n p i c k e r i n g dot com so glenn i had a listener that wanted to know if you have a new england accent she likes it
1: <laughs> thanks for liking it but all it really means is i never learned how to say my r's correctly
0: <laughs> so it's more of a speech impediment
1: yes in fact it
0: is <laughs> that's what you said but hey thank you that's i'm not a sweet I'm way I'm telling you you have a speech impediment you admit it, to <laughs> it. Right. yeah so the r's just never really developed huh? no nope, never got it yeah All right, um, we got more to cover now, Glenn, on the tables.
1: Yes. So let me talk about how to, so I gave people sort of how signs of happening when you have those big thoughts, those big emotions, and probably should not talk. People say, okay, what do I do when that happens? Well, of course, the first thing is to not talk. Second thing is to take everything out captive, just like it talks about in 2 Corinthians 10. And and here's what that means. Now, people get confused by that, but it really means this. Let me start here. I always think this to myself, if I'm in the darkness, I could fight the darkness, I could lash out against the darkness, I could hate the darkness, but at the end of that time, I'm still in the dark. Or, I could turn on the light. So when one of those thoughts runs through my head, I could fight that thought, hate that thought, get pulled into that thought, but I'm still thinking that thought. Or I could turn on the light. So. When I have any thought that's really, I can just feel the intensity that that's creating and know that that's the kind of intensity that's been a relationship wrecker for me, I need to think, okay, I need to ask God's help to change my thinking. So I always cringe when I hear people say I read the new self-help book, and I think we can't help ourselves, (laughs) but God can help us. So... What I think it let's say I'm having an argument with my wife, Gwen, who nobody would ever argue with in their right mind because she's beautiful and smart and is almost always right. But, so, if I'm arguing with her, see, I'm not seeing her correctly. I'm seeing her as a problem to be solved or an irritant to me or somebody's not doing what I want or all that kind of stuff. I'm literally not seeing her. Now, so... When we say that we need to turn everything over to Christ, we need to take everything out captive, it doesn't mean that I need God to help me think differently about this situation. Because that'll tangle up your mind. People think, well, but the thing I said was right. Uh huh. That's not the point. That's not the part you turn over. The part you turn over is yes, and you express that in a way to the other person that was condescending or hurtful or harsh or mean spirited. So the problem is not whether you're right or not or whether you're reading the situation correctly. The problem is you're not seeing that other person as a precious child of God that they actually are. So if I get in an argument with Gwen, it's literally my job to stop, start praying, ask God to help me see her rightly as his precious child, surrounded by his love and his light, who he would want me to treat lovingly and perfectly. And the instant I see her that way, our conversation shifts. So when I ask God to help me take every thought captive, it's not my thoughts about the situation, It's my thoughts about that person. That's what's making our conversation bad. Mm -hmm. And that's where those core thoughts take me is I think badly about that other person. You don't care about me. You don't love me. You don't... All these spewing out things about them and how bad they are. And see, now that core belief will lead me to treat them badly because in my mind, I'm thinking they are bad in that moment of crazy, fable thinking. Mm -hmm. And so when I ask God to take that thought captive, what he does is return me back to the truth, not about the situation, but about who that person is. And until I come back to that place, I'm not fit to be in that conversation. Because when we're caught up in our favor, we're only thinking about us, and God helps us think about that other person. Mm -hmm. I heard this great speaker one time said, you know, my wife and I are Christians. I always know God was my father. God was her father. But it struck me a little while ago that he's also my (laughs) father-in-law. That he has some pretty strong opinions about how he treats his girl. <laughs> and I thought that's a super helpful thought to me because he's really saying the same thing. How do you take your thoughts captive? You, help God, you ask God to help you see that person for who they actually are. Because mm. in our fable, we're not seeing them rightly.
0: All right, let me uh, do one more fable, uh, because you've got 17 here, and there's many, many, many listeners that would like a copy of this, but I just Mm -hmm. want to give them one more taste, and then I want to to get to a couple of uh, listener comments and questions. Great, super. Uh, Here's one. Uh, You have to do it my way. When I'm not in control, I feel anxious. Right. So I'm like the dictator. Right, so
1: let's say I grew up in a family where people are kind of crazy or chaotic or abusive or maybe even neglectful. And I come to the conclusion, okay... So I can't come to you for help, and I can't trust that you're going to be there for me, so I'm just going to have to, if there's something I need to do, I just need to do it myself. And I see those people sort of putting on blinders, like they talk in the Bible. I look neither to the left nor to the right, but I just take care of everything myself. Mm -hmm. Now, those people often do get called dictators, and they often get called narcissistic. But see, that's not really true. Narcissistic people think, hey, I see what you need, and you know what, I don't care. (laughs) So what? Yeah. But a person who grows up thinking nobody's going to help me, nobody else cares, I just have to do it myself, they're not having bad thoughts about other people. They're not putting those other people down or blowing them off. They just think you would be harmful to me, and the only place I'm safe is if I keep myself separate from you. So it's not that they're uncaring or wouldn't want to help other people. They're just trying to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. Not the same thing.
0: All right. Listener asked, um, my question is, can the core thoughts be changed or will they permanently undergird everything in our lives? Here's something we have to live with. Yes.
1: Now, but here's why I talk so much about the people about being a second responder. I believe I will have the same nature of thoughts when I'm 80 that I do today. Okay. But what I see is but I get better and better at recognizing them. That's why I'm trying to teach people how to recognize them, how to know those fables when they hear them. I get better and better at remembering that none of those thoughts are real. I get better and better at slowing down, giving myself a prayerful three or four seconds to help God line up my thinking with what's actually true before speaking anytime there's a conflict. So do we erase those core thoughts? No. Do we get better and better and better at letting God bring us back to the truth? Yes, absolutely.
0: Another uh, caller was interested in when you are trying to let Christ renew your mind, when it feels like you can't stop a thought long enough to let him in. Right. What discipline needs to be implemented in order to let Christ in and speak so I can listen to him and receive his truth? Is there a distinction between somebody being unwilling or unable to receive Christ's truth?
1: Yes, I I was just talking to a dear client of mine today about how if I have an obsessive thought or a thought that goes around and around and around in my mind, it's because I'm telling my brain something that's not true. And it's like I gave my brain a puzzle piece and told it to put it in the puzzle, except it's a puzzle piece for the wrong puzzle. So my mind tries over and over to try some way to make sense of it, some way to fit that puzzle piece in, but it doesn't fit anywhere. And so... I'm telling my brain something that's not true. Let's say I have a person in my family. We're going to a wedding. There's going to be a wedding, and I think, oh, my God, what if Uncle John drinks too much? Oh, my God, what if? And basically what I'm saying to myself is I have to take care of that. I have to make sure things go okay. Now, my brain's going to spin over and over on that because my brain knows I'm not in charge of Uncle John. He's going to do whatever he does. And none of my past attempts to be in charge of him ever worked. Mm -hmm. But if I say, okay, so i got to make sure my brain will start spinning about that because I'm telling my brain something I literally cannot make sense out of because there's no way to make sense out of it. When Jesus said, for the truth will set you free, I think, right, even a hard truth will set me free. So if I have an obsessive thought, I have to take care of that, I have to run that, I have to fix that. It's super helpful to just come back to the truth. I'm in control of me and nobody else. I'm in control of me and nobody else not in control of that. Other people do what they want. Mm-hmm. Even So Jesus, the rich young ruler, comes to him. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, and the guy walks away. And here's what I always think in that story, and Jesus doesn't run after him. No, wait, wait, wait. Like, I answered your question. I told you how to do that, and now it's up to you. I mean, even Jesus doesn't have the power to make other people do anything except what they choose to do. So we need to understand, anytime I feel my brain spinning, I'm telling myself something that my brain literally can't make sense of because it's not true. I just need to come back to this really gentle question. What's actually true about that thought? True about that thought is Uncle John might very well get drunk, and he might very well embarrass us, and it might very well be uncomfortable. Yep, that might happen. And I'm not in charge of that.
0: Mm -hmm. But if you want to control an outcome or think you can, and you double or triple down on your efforts, because one of these days my efforts are going to stop Uncle John from ruining another wedding.
1: I know, exactly. And, you know, in AA, they talk about insanity being, you know, I do things the same way, expecting the results to be different. And I think it's really important to just be dead honest with myself. That hasn't worked the last 17 times. It's not going to work this time either. Mm -hmm. And the problem is not Uncle John. The problem is me and I have that thought that goes through my head over and over again. And I need to bring that thought to God and ask God what's actually true about this in my prayer time so he can show me what's actually true.
0: Well it's been a very interesting hour and it's Come gone on. very quickly. I wish we had a little bit more time. The um the subject matter on fables is this is all of us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Every one of us has got some right. experience in our head. Right. We've created some story with some outcome, right. and we've identified ourselves as that person. Right, exactly. And then we
1: act like that's true. And remember, it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: And it, it can work, to, it can work in, in negative ways, thinking that I'm, you know, I'm the greatest, most confident guy in the world. Every room I enter, I'm the most confident guy, period. Right. And you, you, know, you find out you're not.
1: Well, you find out you're not. But even if you go to your great believing in that. What you're also going to find out is you actually alienated a whole lot of yeah. people in that process. Right. By appearing to be arrogant or uncaring. And even that thought will still wreck your relationships.
0: Yeah. So, Glenn, I'm going to be busy tonight. A lot of people have wanted your um, list of common great. fables, which is great. There's 17 of them. And you will probably find yourself and your loved ones in this list somewhere. If you email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. I will email you the list, and you can have it. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, writing me and asking for the list. And, Glenn, thanks for coming into the studio. Right. I love it when you come in. And if you uh, would like to go to Glenn's website, you can learn more about him. And he offers you a really nice 20-minute uh, opportunity to speak to him free of charge. Go to glennpickering.com, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. Thank you so much for listening today and being part of the show. I just uh, love our time together, and I look forward to the next time we uh, get together, and I assume that will be tomorrow sometime, so um, I'm already looking forward to it. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support.